Hey guys, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassnack Files. And I am excited because I think you guys know where this is going. We're getting ready to talk season two today. We made it all the way through the longest season of Outlander, 16 episodes in season one. And today we're going to talk Through a Glass Darkly, which is the season premiere of season two. It is one of my favorite season premieres. I feel like there's a lot to get through. It's a very good plot and character episode combined. So very excited to talk to you guys about that today. But before we get to that, some housekeeping details. I want to remind you guys that you can find the Sassanac Files on several different major podcast platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can also find the Sassnack Files on Podbean, which is our broadcast center. That's where I record all of the new episodes. So if you are um, finding us on the internet and you want to know where you can find us to listen directly from your phone, check out any of those platforms. I have noticed a boost in listeners recently, so I want to welcome everybody that is new to the Sassnack Files. I hope you are enjoying my commentary because it's really fun for me to get on here and talk about one of my great passions, which is Outlander. So if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you head over to the Sassnack Files blog. I just posted my season one superlatives, which is where I really just got an opportunity to talk about all of my favorites of the season, favorite musical moment, favorite filming location, favorite scene, all of the different stuff. So uh, let me know what you guys think on that. I am always ready and willing to have a conversation with you guys about Outlander. Speaking of social media, if you are wondering where you can connect with the Sassnack Files, we are on Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you head on over, like, share, and as always, if you are liking what you hear on this podcast, make sure to rate and review on your favorite platform and spread the word. Without further ado, let's get into Through a Glass Darkly. I don't think I'm alone in saying that the first time I watched this episode, I was like, wait, what? I think everybody that watched this episode was extremely confused given where we left off season one. Because it picks up with Claire back in the 1940s, and that is completely new territory. Book readers were like, huh? Because that is not how the second book went down. Show watchers, I'll just tell you a little story. So I own the DVDs, and after months and months of me being addicted to Outlander, my mother was like, okay, I guess I need to check this out. So I'm at work and I get a text that says, is there something up with your DVDs? Like, I'm pretty sure that I, like, I'm, I'm watching the wrong disc. And (laughs) I was like, uh, did you just start season two? She's like, yeah. I said, no, keep watching. It'll make sense. She literally thought that she was watching the wrong season because (laughs) of how season two starts out. So if you're feeling a little bit of whiplash, just know that it's something that everybody that watches Outlander goes through. (laughs) So yeah, we really start off 
kind of just absolutely jarred, which I think was the point of it. And I just want to give you guys a little heads up that there might be a little bit of spoiler zone coverage here because the way that season two is formatted, basically the entire season is one ginormous flashback until we get to the season two finale, which flashes forward. So there might be some references to the season two finale and how that reflects back on season two premiere because... When I get to the analysis of Dragonfly and Amber, it is already an hour and a half episode. So if I can cover it here, that's kind of my philosophy that no need to make it like a two hour podcast. So yeah, there might be some moments in this episode where it might be a little spoilery if you haven't seen the season two finale yet. So just giving you guys the heads up there. Okay, so the way that this episode starts with Claire at the Stones, completely heartbroken and just at a loss. It hurts my heart to watch it because you know, like, especially on a rewatch, again, this show in general needs a rewatch because there is so much information that you as a viewer pick up on on the second watch. So I'm a huge advocate of that because they plant these little seeds and stuff And then you're like, oh, that's where that came from when you get around to it 10 episodes later. But you can fully appreciate all the little nuances of the writing and the acting if you rewatch it with all the information. This episode picks up where the season two finale ends in a way. So what we're seeing here is the result of what happens in the season two finale. Which is why I think that a rewatch is so crucial to the second season. Because eventually, like, we see what happened with Jamie after the events of the season two finale. But with Claire, it picks up much, much later on. Because we get all of this stuff now at the beginning of season two. So they didn't want to revisit that, which I guess in a way makes sense. So in this episode... For the good first half, while we're in the 1940s, we see Claire trying to adapt back into the modern world. I feel for her so much because not only is she grieving the loss of the man that she loved, but she is experiencing the negative effects of time travel all over again. I mean, we saw this her trying to adjust to this new world at the beginning of season one. And then, oh, here we are again, doing it at the beginning of season two, only she's come back to her own time. And we see it when she's walking down the road in one of those first scenes and she hears the car horn and she kind of just stops. And you see it in her face. She's like, oh my God, it's a car. But then she's also kind of in this in-between state where she's like, what? year is it like obviously she knows it's modern times because it's a car and then all she wants to know is what happened at the battle of Culloden like I need to know what happened and when she finds out that everything that we haven't seen her go through yet but everything that she goes through for the rest of season two was all for naught they failed anyway 
Katrina Balf did a fantastic job with those emotions going over her. She's like, I lost the love of my life and it was all for nothing, which is just, it's so sad. So the next thing that we see Claire struggling with as far as coming back into the 20th century is she's talking about how loud everything is. She's like, turn that infernal thing off when she's talking about the radio. And then there's all the cars making noise outside. And you can feel her just really missing the silence of nature. And you don't really think about it in modern times. Like here we are in the 21st century and it's all kind of, it is what it is. We have cars and airplanes, even something as simple as the buzz that your security light makes outside your house that you don't realize it makes it until it's not there, that kind of thing. It's all overwhelming Claire at once because she's been in the 18th century where technology didn't exist and now here she is thrown into the middle of all of it. She's got radios playing and cars going by and it's all so noisy. So she's struggling with that. She's basically having sensory overload is what's happening. And on top of the grief. And then you get to the manse where the fighter jets fly over. And Mrs. Graham is talking about, oh, yeah, they're thinking there's going to be a war with Russia soon. And she just freaking explodes. She's like, there's always going to be another fucking war, isn't there? And Mrs. Graham just kind of takes a step back. She's like, whoa. Claire's just kind of reached boiling point. She's experiencing all these emotions that she doesn't know how to contain within herself. And you think about how much of a trigger war is for Claire. So she just got through World War II and being a nurse there and all the things that she experienced there, which you see later in season two. And then where we're at now in Claire's life, she just spent the past year solid year, year and a half of her life with Jamie trying to prevent the Jacobite rising of 45 and then going with the Jacobite army to fight in that rebellion, which ultimately ended in the Battle of Culloden and her being sent back to where she's at now. And now she's sitting here completely miserable because of everything that she just experienced. And, oh, now there's going to be another war with Russia. Like, she just explodes and it's completely understandable because every negative thing that has ever happened to this woman has happened because a result of some sort of war so now they're looking at another war and she just can't handle that so claire's going through a lot and all of that is magnified because of her loss of jamie and the fact that she's pregnant with jamie's child We get much, much more of this information as season two evolves, but this wasn't a plan that she was on board with, but it's something that Jamie wanted and she agreed to it. It's just really terrible that now there's this great line in Dragonfly and Amber where Jamie is talking about how it's on the eve of Culloden, which is right before all of the stuff that is happening now in the show happens. And he says... You don't think I know that I have the easy part now and that what I'm asking you to do is absolutely terrible and it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. Like, 
but they're doing it for their child. They're not doing it for themselves, which I think is made abundantly clear in the season finale of season two, which will be great to talk about when we get to it. But um, yeah, Claire has a long road to hoe now. She's left Jamie behind and come back to the 20th century. Now she's got to try to make things work with this husband of hers, Frank. Yeah, it's going to be rough. And we will see that play out over the course of, really see it play out over the course of season three. So it's it's some really good plot movement. The first few episodes of season three are some of my favorite episodes of the entire series. But I digress. So we will move back to the season two premiere. And I want to talk about the conversation that Claire has with Mrs. Graham right after she explodes about the fighter jets. Claire kind of gathers herself and apologizes for losing her temper. And she mentions the scene that we love so much from The Reckoning where Jamie goes, what does fucking mean? And it's such a fond memory for her. She's like, you know, you didn't even know what that word meant. Through all of this, I find it so heartbreaking that through all of this, Claire can't find it in herself to actually say Jamie's name. She just refers to him as him or his hair or his smile, you know? And the first time that we actually hear Jamie's name is when Frank says it. Which the irony in that is just (laughs) something unto itself. But I really loved the conversation with Claire and Mrs. Graham because it's the first time that we really see Claire able to talk to somebody about what she went through. And it's so good that she had that, you know, somebody that believed her and she could just be honest with. Mrs. Graham tells her... You know, whenever you talk about him, you almost always mention his fine sense of humor or his smile or his red hair. And the grief radiates off of Claire when she's like, I know he's dead. You don't have to say it. But Mrs. Graham says something to Claire in this line that sticks with Claire for the better part of 20 years after this. She says... Don't spend the rest of your life chasing a ghost. We see the culmination of this line in Claire's decision to stay with Frank and make a life with him because it's not what Jamie wanted either. He wanted her to move on and have a life separate from him as much as it pained him. So she's trying with every fiber of her being to put her life back together and it's the hardest thing that she will ever do but she's going to do it for herself for Jamie and for the sake of their child my next big thing that I really wanted to talk about was Frank because I feel like his character maybe deserves discussion perhaps more than any other character in this episode which is saying a lot because I think that each person and their role in this episode is important to the trajectory of the rest of the season. So Frank, it's been two years since Claire went missing at this point. And if you'll remember at the end of Both Sides Now, Frank put Claire behind him, even though he's still really holding on to this grief, and he decides to move forward with his life 
and move on. Go back to Oxford, take his teaching position, and just keep going. Soldier on, as he tells Bree in uh, later seasons. But Frank has spent the better part of two years with no answers about what happened to Claire. She just up and disappeared. And I loved the... There were a lot of great scenes with him, but I loved the conversation that he had with Claire where after she tells him everything that happened, he wants his chance to speak. And he tells her, you know, everyone wanted me to believe that you had run off with another man of your own volition. And for a time, I wanted that. He says he wanted to be angry at her because to be angry at her was better than feeling this utter void left in his heart. I think it connects with Claire on a certain level because what he's saying resonates with her. What he's saying he felt when she left is what she feels now. Just an utter void in her heart where Jamie once was. So I think that she connects with Frank on that level, but she's also just spending this the better part of the first half of this episode, trying anything to push him away. She doesn't want to connect with him. She wants to curl in on herself and protect that special little place inside of her, as Mrs. Graham calls it, where Jamie still exists for her. She wants to keep that safe. She doesn't want to open herself up to someone else. She doesn't want to accept Frank's love or help. She just wants to be alone in her grief at this point. And so even when Frank says, I believe you, she's like, no, you don't. You don't believe me. Stop telling yourself that you believe me. That rational academic brain of yours has questions. You know it does. And I found that scene really critical to the evolution of Frank and Claire's relationship because when Mrs. Graham told Frank oh, there's another explanation for what happened to your wife right after Claire went missing. He says, I heard what you were saying. I simply don't share your belief. Mrs. Graham knew that's what happened to Claire. Like she knew it, felt it in her bones. Part of me wonders if Frank was so quick to believe Claire because Mrs. Graham told him that story right after Claire went missing and it just all suddenly made sense for him. I think there's definitely some part of him that has doubts and is skeptical. Like, who would not be skeptical of this story that Claire has just told him? And I think that's where Claire's coming from. She's like, it's not realistic for someone born and raised in the 20th century to just accept this for what it is. It doesn't make sense for him to believe her in her mind. And in Frank's mind, he's like, honestly, it's like, I don't even care if she's crazy. Like, I love her and I want her, I want to be with her. Because we don't really know what happens to Frank after he leaves Inverness after Claire disappears. That's really a blank space in the story. And I know Diana Gabaldon is working on a story from Frank's perspective. So I'm really anxious to see if that book is prior to the events of Outlander or if it is the space in between when Claire goes missing and Claire returns. 
I'm not sure which I would rather have because Frank has had a very interesting life just based on the little tidbits that we get in the Outlander books and the novellas that Diana has provided. So I am really anxious to get that perspective. But Frank nonetheless has had a very lonely existence over the course of the past two years. And to make matters even worse, we find out that he now knows that he's sterile. He can't have children. Poor Frank, you know? And I feel like, yes, the show changed a lot of things about Frank, but I love Frank in the show so much more. I know a lot of people don't feel that way, and that's fine. Um, We're all entitled to our opinion, guys. It's great. I think the understanding and the love that Frank shows Claire in the show just really helped me to embrace his character. He was a little harder to understand in the books, and I know that there's the argument that, well when we see this whole scene in the books, it's from Claire's perspective. So it would make sense that he seems a little harder because Claire's not wanting to accept what he's offering. So there's that portion of it too, I suppose. But yeah, Frank's been through a lot and it only gets worse when Claire, he's trying so hard to fight for Claire and to get her to stay with him He realizes what she went through and that she met this man and that she had a relationship with him and that she loved him dearly. And he's willing to accept all of these things about her because Jamie's dead and he's not coming back and he is willing to be there for Claire in the hopes that they can eventually get back to the relationship that they once had. And then Claire's like, but I really don't think you understand because I'm pregnant. And this is like earlier when Claire exploded about the fighter jets. This is Frank's breaking point. He lunges at her and just he's got tears coming out of his eyes. And he's so frustrated and angry and heartbroken all at the same time because When it was just a matter of Claire having an affair, he could almost pretend it didn't exist. He could almost pretend that it it didn't happen and let it go. But a child is the ultimate reminder of Claire's infidelity. And that hits him in the soft spots. I also think that there's a part of him that is resentful of the fact that Jamie gave Claire what Frank couldn't in a child. And so there's that part of it too, that he's incapable of having children and the fact that she loved another man and that he gave her a child. Like there's all of these insecurities and emotions coming out in Frank that he's been able to sit by the wayside because Claire's actually been gone. And it's like he said, the question of his fertility was an academic one at best because without a wife, he wasn't going to have children. So it didn't matter. And now he's dealing with all of these things all at once and not able to really process those emotions. So Frank goes through a lot in this episode and he has this conversation with the Reverend where I'm kind of with Frank on this one because I'm not very religious myself. And so having anyone of a religious nature try to relate your situation to God's plan can be very frustrating. So I I very much related with Frank in this moment because he's like, 
he has this great line because the reverend's like, well, you're not the only man to go through this. And Frank's like, I'm not Joseph. She's not Mary. And I'm very certain that the father of her child is not God Almighty, okay? <laughs> like, yes. So it is a very different situation. And trying to compare it to something in the Bible is just not okay for this moment. So I 100% identified with Frank in this moment. We get this little glimpse of young Roger, which is great, this parallel that we have. It's coming full circle because we see young Roger in the season two premiere and we see adult Roger in the season two finale. So I loved that parallel as well. All of these things coming full circle over the course of season two. It's just beautiful artistry and I admire it every time I watch season two. It didn't have the best content at times. There were a few very slow episodes in season two, but the overall arc of the season was very well done. The Reverend does make a really good point in this conversation with Frank. And he he says, you know, whether you want to call it God's plan or not, that's up to you. He's like, I'm not going to shove it on you. But I will say this, that you're certain that the father of this child is dead. That point has been made. So here we have a child without a father and a man without a child. Frank wants children and he's heartbroken that he can't give that to Claire. And so in this moment, he realizes that this is the only chance he's ever going to have to have a child and he wants to be a father. So as much as it breaks his heart to know that this child isn't his biologically, he's willing to make that sacrifice because he knows that otherwise he's never going to get the opportunity. And I think it's fantastic because the love that Frank has for Brie, he was such a good father to her. It's great to watch this whole theme over the course of the entire series of parenthood, but not necessarily a biological relationship. There's a lot of adoptive parenting going on throughout the course of the entire series, and it's it's really great to watch. So Frank comes to Claire and he says, okay, I'm willing to do this. I've made my decision. And Claire's like, just like that, you're willing to pick up where we left off. And Frank's like, I've already had too much time to think about this, okay? I've thought about nothing else for the past two years except for going on with my life without you. And he said, given the chance to do that again, I'm not doing it. Whatever he has to do to keep Claire, that's what he's willing to do. If that means raising the child of another man, he's prepared to do that. In this moment, Frank and Claire make the deal that defines their relationship for the rest of the time that we see them together. Frank agrees to stay with Claire and raise their child, but it will be their child, not Claire and Jamie's child that is being raised by Frank. And Claire is iffy about this because she's like, well, raise a child in a lie. Like it's not your kid. And he says, no, it's going to be raised by a flesh and blood man, not the idea of someone that they can never catch. And Claire says, not a ghost. 
And this is when they agree. This child will not know that its real father is Jamie Fraser. And that is that. As long as Frank draws breath on this earth, that will never come to light. So that's Frank's first condition. The second one, which is equally important to the understanding of the rest of this series, is that Claire has to stop looking for Jamie. No more research. No more, as he puts it, combing the libraries of the world looking for some sign of him. Like, it just has to stop. Which I think is kind of naive on Frank's part, that just by making this deal with Claire that somehow she's going to let him go. Like, I think Frank doesn't fully understand the level of love and commitment that Claire and Jamie had for one another. To just think it's as simple as no more research, no more looking for him, and that that's going to make Jamie go away. That is really a, a naive moment for his character in a lot of ways. I think it's hopeful, but just really kind of clues into the fact that he has no idea what Claire and Jamie had if he thinks it's as simple as that. But Claire agrees to it because she's like, you know what, I promised Jamie that I would let him go and live my life. I promised him that. So I feel like I can promise you the same. And they move on to Boston, which was an interesting move, but I think it was the right one because it's a little bit easier for Claire to separate her new life from her past life in that way. So that was good. And then we see this brilliant transition I absolutely love it where Claire is coming down the stairs off of the plane and Frank reaches his hand out and Claire goes to take the hand and the camera spins around and it's Jamie and we are back in the 18th century, right where season one left off. And everybody's like, sighs a huge sigh of relief and they're like, okay, now I've got my bearings again. I know where we're at. And that really pulls us into where we are and what we need to know for the remainder of the second season because everything from this point moving forward is in the present time it's one giant flashback from what happened at the very beginning of this episode there are three major things within the last half of the episode that are super important to the remainder of this season the first is it sets up Jamie's PTSD for what happened at the end of season one because yes he made the decision to move forward and not give up because he had a family that needs him but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have the emotional and physical scars left from that event so we just see a glimpse of it we're not really diving deep into it yet We kind of see this little moment when they're in their bedroom at the inn where they're staying where Claire leans in like she wants a kiss and Jamie kind of just moves away like I'm not ready for that yet. There's just this kind of level of depression for Jamie. Um, He's laying on the bed and he tries to make this funny comment where he says a bed that doesn't move luxury. And he's trying to be funny, but it's just not really working. And Claire sees that there's this undercurrent of something going on with Jamie. And she asks him about it. And he says, 
sometimes I just feel like Randall's here. Like I can feel his touch on me. And she says, no, he's not here, but I am. So they go into this whole discussion of the next thing that this second half of this episode really covers, which is all the politics of Paris and the plan to infiltrate the Jacobite elite. This is the entire point of this first half of season two in Paris is to find the key players, figure out the strategy for the Jacobite rebellion and stop it from happening. That's the entire point to them really even being in Paris in the book. They kind of streamlined it in the show to have it fit, really, which was a good decision that I agree with. Basically, their whole point to being in Paris is to be a double agent, which puts a lot on Jamie for having been through what he just went through to then just pile on the fact that now he has to be a spy and uncover all of these plots and find a way to change history. That's a lot of pressure. So yeah, I can only imagine. But he has this line, he says, you certainly have a high opinion of what a crippled Highlander and a pregnant English woman can accomplish. And Claire says, since when were you not up for a challenge? So as much as it's added pressure, I think it gives Jamie a distraction in a lot of ways. It gives him something to think about besides Randall and what just happened to him. Gives him purpose. So I think that part of it is good. And we see this meeting with his cousin Jared, who is well-connected with several influential Jacobites in Paris. And you see this great moment, which I don't know if people really think about it. And I certainly hadn't, not really until I was watching it this last time, where Jared asks him, you know, I've never seen you voice even the slightest interest in politics. Why all of a sudden are you interested now? And Jamie decides to take off his shirt and show Jared his back which was exactly what Dougal was doing to convince Highlanders to give money to the Jacobite cause. And all of a sudden, Jamie's like, this is what I need to do to convince Jared that I'm on their side. So in a lot of ways, Dougal is (laughs) indirectly responsible for Jamie finding an in with the Jacobite cause in Paris, because after seeing this, Jared is like, well, yeah, of course you're on our side. Why would you not be? So the irony of that entire situation really just occurred to me this time around because it was such a horrible thing that Dougal did by repeatedly ripping Jamie's shirt off to reveal these scars to people to stimulate horror and anger at the British. And now all of a sudden he's like, you know what? Maybe that's what I need to do to convince them that I'm on their side. So the difference is that he's willingly choosing to show Jared these scars versus what Dougal was doing, whereas like, I don't really care what you want. You're going to do it anyway. So there is that slight difference, but it's also showing the evolution of Jamie as a character. I do think that he's growing more comfortable in his own skin and he is who he is and he's not so much ashamed of it anymore. I mean, he doesn't flaunt it. 
But um, he's not afraid to show people what the British did to him if it's going to benefit a cause that he's fighting for. So there, there is that slight change in Jamie that we're already seeing. And then the last thing that is important that we find in the last half of this episode is we meet the pseudo-villain of Paris in the Comte Saint-Germain. And he's a piece of work. I wouldn't go so far as to say that he's a villain because in the Outlander universe, we have some unparalleled villains. And I would not say that Sandraman is on that playing field, but he certainly stirs up trouble and causes some problems for Jamie and Claire. Let's put it that way. So we meet him and we learn kind of why he has this disdain for Jamie and Claire. I mean, the Comte is French aristocracy and he believes that he's God's gift to man. So he already is like high and mighty. But then when Claire crosses him and gets his property destroyed, that just really is like intolerable in his eyes. And he spends pretty much the first six, seven episodes trying to get back at them. So the introduction of the Comte is the other major thing that needed to be dealt with. The idea of a premiere episode is to present all of the potential issues of the rest of the season, I guess, and then to work off of those and build on them for pretty much until the mid-season finale. You should probably have addressed the majority of those issues by the mid-season finale, and I think Outlander does a pretty good job of that. So I think they did a good job. It was a little bit jarring, like, switching from the 20th century to the 18th century and spending half of the episode in each But I feel like it was necessary in a lot of ways because you had to present these issues to the audience and make it known that this is what we're working off of for the rest of the season. So overall, very good season premiere and I was very happy with it. Season two is a season that I like more and more every time I watch it. I wasn't a huge fan of it the first time around. And without a doubt, I did like season two better than I liked the second book. It grows on me more and more every time I watch it. And I think it's just because there are so many little details that you pick up on at different times when you watch it. Like when I was watching this episode, I was so much more emotional this time around than I had been any of the other times that I had watched it. So it just, after you've experienced different things in your own life, if you rewatch a television show, different things hit you and gives you an entirely new experience. And I would say the same thing for reading Diana's books. They're just really rich in texture. So I think that about wraps up the analysis of the episode. I wanted to take a moment to talk about the performance of the episode because I really felt that Tobias Menzies was phenomenal in this episode. For the second half of season one, we only saw him as Blackjack. So then to be thrown back in and see him as Frank, it was really wonderful and refreshing 
I think that he does both of those characters so well, but I really love him as Frank. He brings a depth and a, an emotion to Frank that we don't necessarily get in the book. So it was really great. And then, of course, we got that wonderful sort of flash in Claire's head when she first sees Frank's reflection. Um, she's like, oh. And then when Frank goes, to, he like reaches down to hug her or something. And then we get this little blip, which I had never noticed before because it's so quick. This little blip where Frank turns to Blackjack in the red coat and then it's back to Frank. It is literally probably like one second on the screen, but it was just enough to where it puts you in Claire's head and it really shows you how Tobias plays these two characters so separately. Even though it's the same person playing them, there's an identity that goes along with each character and it's really just wonderful to watch. And I love that they brought that back in this episode to see, even if it was just literally a millisecond of a viewer's time, it was just enough to be like, oh yeah, this is what we're supposed to be feeling. So I really enjoyed that and the emotion that Tobias portrayed with Frank and what he goes through. All the tears, guys. It takes a lot for an actor to put themselves through the ringer that much in an episode because you're thinking Tobias is pretty much uncontrollably sobbing in at least two or three scenes in this episode and you think they shoot these scenes over and over and over again with different camera angles and switch ups and dialogue and things like that so that's really intense for someone to put themselves through hats off to Tobias he did a fantastic job And then the quote of the episode, which I really feel brings into full focus Jamie and Claire's relationship and the trajectory of this season moving forward. It's one of the very last lines in this episode where Jamie says, another country, another enemy. Life with you is certainly never dull, Sassanac. And I really love that because especially compared to that scene in the inn at the very uh, beginning of the second half where Jamie's really depressed and he's like trying to be funny, but his heart's not really in it to see this where his, his wit is kind of returning and you can see he's kind of getting halfway back to himself. That was really good for me. And it really encapsulates their entire relationship. (laughs) Another country, another enemy, you know? Yep. That's Outlander for you. So That about wraps up the season two premiere analysis through A Glass Darkly. I really enjoyed talking this episode. And like I said, there are so many ties for this episode to the season two finale and into the beginning of season three. So very critical to, I feel, almost go back and watch this episode after the season two finale so that you can get a glimpse of Claire's state going into season three, I felt is, is really good. So yeah, really fond of this episode. Make sure to let me know what you guys think. You can send me an email to the files at gmail.com or reach out on social media. I'll be posting this episode soon and you can just reply in the comments. Next week, I will be talking season two, episode two, not in Scotland anymore. And they certainly are not in Scotland anymore. (laughs) Aptly named. So excited to move on to that. And until then, stay safe out there, guys. And I will chat at you later. Bye.